All right, welcome everyone to Talk to Tatiana's show. And to do, today with me, I have Elizabeth Vanderleet. Elizabeth, Elizabeth is an artist, um, and she's an art. It's actually she's actually a pretty unique artist. She she's an artist. She's a painter, and she paints from the adventures of her life. So, welcome, Elizabeth. Welcome to the show, and so great to have you. Oh, thank you so much, Tatiana. And I hope the adventures of my life are are fun to chat with you about. Thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. Um, so Elizabeth, tell me a little bit about your story and how how you came to being an artist, how how that happened, what inspired you, and what kind of keeps inspiring you as you um, paint, as you go through life, and so on. I think, Tatiana, as a child, art was what set me on fire, and I loved it, no matter what medium I was working in as a child. It was just the creation. And I think when I returned to that ultimate feeling as a child, it was perfect. Um, Growing up, sort of being an artist became not as viable. Um, I went to um, Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo and studied graphic design and more closely photography. And I have a Bachelor of Science in graphic design. Um, After that, I became a certified advanced rolfer with uh, many years of endurance racing Um, that interested me. And I think it was truly as a rolfer, rolfing is something that was started by a woman named Ida Rolf, and it is about aligning your body and gravity. And somewhere in there, working with my clients, helping them to receive Um, their greatest alignment for their performances, for their athletics, and other people as well. There was a stillness that I found that reignited my love of painting. And I've used the term sliding door because I spent many years trying to validate being an artist. And now the sliding door has come in front of me. That silence allowed me to start painting. And the more I've done it, the more I have felt fulfilled. And so I've, I've taken that sliding door, so to speak. I've hopped on that train and I'm an entrepreneur, as everybody likes to use that word lately, um, being an artist. And that, that's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, it's really hard to um, provide for a good living um, as an artist. And so many artists end up taking a full-time job working for someone someone else and secretly dreaming about making money with their art. But I believe that it's possible to uh, make a good living as an artist. Um, It just requires a little bit of an effort, I guess, um, on monetizing that and understanding really the numbers of that you're, um, you're not the numbers of your business sort of, I mean, Artists don't necessarily treat it as a business right away, but learning that, learning that skill is probably, at least the way I see it, is is critical. Well, it's one of the things about the school that I attended was I did feel as if it bred a lot of the creativity out of me. And that, that was hard. But as I look back in hindsight, I did learn that that ultimate 
need to look at the bottom line. And I did do it by creating, I've never truly worked for big corporations. I've had odd jobs where I've been employed. Yes. But I've usually worked for myself first as a photographer. And then after about 10 years, I became a certified rolfer and I had my own private practice and I always worked for myself. And with each one of those, I learned, you know, yeah, there's a, there's a bottom line and you've, you've got to provide at this point in my life, it is a little bit of a luxury as that I have three kids and I have a wonderful marriage and my life is provided for. So I get to come at it from a different angle, but still that bottom line is there. So yes, it is, it, it isn't hard to monetize. It's wrong to think that artists can't make a living. Yeah, that's, I, I agree. I think, I think you can, and um, um, and it's totally possible. And I know a number of artists who are making a good living, a solid, um, solid income uh, from their art, and they love it. And you know, they're living living their dream, really. Right, and that's the part that I'm trying to focus on as I become more of who I am, and I understand more about all the art history that I studied in school, and how you can come at. Um, I use a tagline on my website. It's called E-Cubed, and it's about elevating and experiencing and enjoying your environment because truly our environment and that what we live in, it's like reality wraps around how we feel. And when we elevate the quality of our environment through artwork, through decluttering, um, through health, I mean, all these different things, it creates a healthy vibe. It's better, period. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I actually wanted to ask you about the E cubed um, because you've mentioned it in your in your um, bio, and uh, I just wanted to learn a little bit more about it. So, can you talk a little bit about the art? How art has a vibe? Um, I mean, you sort of touched on it just now, but can you um, expand on it a little bit? Absolutely. There's, I've done studying with Dr. Joe Dispenza. I've done the meditation. I do meditation. Um, there are, I mean, everything has a vibe. It's a vibration. It's your emotional state. Everything does. Whether you're talking about, you know, uh, you know, an illness has a vibration. A rose has a vibration. You know, dog poop has a vibration. I mean, everything has, you know, a vibration. And what we bring, what we pollute our environment with can be good or bad. So the E-cubed is about elevating your own vibration. And let's say you're having a bad day and you have a beautiful painting. I mean, I do, I have them around my home and I go and I look at them and they change my vibration. Not that they change them, but I begin to have a relationship with them and that's called the experience. And then you enjoy, I mean, truly our space, our homes, our offices, our, you know, whatever type of space it is, it's your environment. You should want to invest in it. But the problem lies in is that people get really insecure about buying art. And then I've come to this point where I want to educate them on it. I mean, there's a couple different ways you can look at it, but that's what I'm trying to help people do as I sell my art. And uh, when you educate people to buy art, does it, do you only talk about your art, or do you just talk about art in general? Like, how does that how does that process go? What's the sort of the transformation that 
that happens that you're looking to achieve so from someone who, like like you said, sort of is um, um, insecure, maybe unsure, but maybe feels that they want to buy a piece of art, but like just don't know enough about it. Um, how do you trans- help them transform, get the transformation, transform into um, someone who really appreciates it and understands it better? W- what is that process like? Um, there's, there's a million different ways to look at it, but let's look at it one of two ways. I mean, you can, you can tear it down and be really philosophical. And this is a discussion that's gone on for eons about what makes great art. And that could go, that debate could go on endlessly. It's circular, it's fun, and that's great. However, there's two ways I'd look at it. I want to create a relationship with someone so that I can know them and understand them. I mean, I'm looking for my tribe. I like quirky, intelligent people that are enjoying life and expansive and are drawn to my work. If someone comes to me and they're timid, I mean, the first way I'm going to talk about it is, is what are you looking for? What, what is it? Is it something that is a preconceived idea within the art or Or are you looking for something of a greater value? And when I say that, I'm referring to the fact that original artwork, the price goes up because it is one of a kind. If you're buying prints, then then, then they're still valuable. However, people come to me from different aspects. When I say we can get philosophical about it, it's, it's sort of like, Pondering is not the same as viewing when we think about something. It's like saying that thinking about basking in the sun is not the same as actually basking in the sun on the beach. You understand that? So you can think about it and you want it, but it's not the same. So having a piece of artwork is truly getting to experience it within your environment. And I can help people by saying, if you have a large wall and you want to put something on there, I, you know, the roll of blue tape that people use in, in construction and design is put some blue tape on the wall in sizes that you like. You can do multiples, you can do individuals, you can do large, small. There, that's, that's, that's one start. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it really, Tatiana, I really have to know what somebody's coming to me for or why and how, and then I navigate with them and create a relationship. And that is the bottom line is having a relationship with somebody. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I and it's actually a really good idea about trying things out with the blue tape first and then just um, kind of seeing what exactly you're looking for. That's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever think of that. <laughs> well, we just moved from California to Oregon and uh, there's a lot of blue tape going on in the house. I mean, how big do you want the rug? How big, how big the painting do you want? Does that mirror, where should it go? Do you want round? Do you want square? So we've utilized blue tape a lot and it is a very, it seems silly, but it really works because you can walk by that wall and say, you know, I didn't really realize it. It needs a bigger piece of art or a bigger mirror or the rug is too small. So yeah, it's a simple trick and very, very useful. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I might try that myself, actually. Um, that's so that's really cool. So I mean, I, um, I can tell you that personally, I, um, 
I don't want to say that I don't have um, taste for art, but I do want to say like when I sometimes see pieces of art, um, sometimes they go well with the um, place, you know, usually friend's house or whatever. And I can say, okay, I like that, but I wouldn't be able to describe what it is that I like about this piece or composition or, or where it's located or how it looks or the lighting or whatever. How do you work with people like that? <laughs> well, you just gave me the exact things that I would pull out of. You just gave me all the tools right there. I would, I would ask you what you like about something. There is composition. There is color. Um, there's, do you like, everything has a mood. I mean, colors, shapes, abstract versus um, something from reality. I have to get to know you a little bit. And that's, that's the, the joy that I have in transferring or developing and evolving into this artist that I have always wanted to be is that I realize it's really pleasant for me to get to know people. I love to connect. I love to understand what you want. And with those things that you said you saw, if you're at a dinner party at a friend's house and you just like something, we talk about those things that you liked and we learn and I educate you on what you're looking for. You know it. It's just like you said, oh, blue tape, good idea. Like if you told me you like something, I'd say, is it this? Is it that? Do you like the brush strokes? Do you like the composition? And then you begin to feel empowered. And when you feel empowered, you feel better about making a decision. And you are not, I'm not saying that you're insecure about buying art. It's just, it's one of those things that gets put on the back burner because it, it isn't necessary per se. However, I think our environments are really, really important. Um, I agree. I agree. And I, um, it's really, uh, I guess I'm a very logical person and a lot of people are like that. They just know, Oh, okay. I like that. But like for me, for example, it's harder to really picture, Oh, I'm like, so there are some people and it's not me. Uh, there are some people who are like, Oh, you know, for this wall, I'm just, I just need another piece. That's bluish green or whatever in in bluish green colors uh, i'm not that person but there are people like that um and i guess um the tough part to actually be able to appreciate art and and kind of confidently i guess um know that you want something something of value something of beauty something that gives you that sense of comfort and love when you're at home. Um, that's something that takes for someone like me, um, takes work, which is why it gets put on the back burner. Right. And I, under, and I completely understand that. And there are people out there that just say, Oh, I just need something blue there. That'll look nice. Um, and it's not to diminish or, or choose. I am looking for people that are interested in the art and interested in the, the textures and the vibrancy and adding to the vibrancy of their own life by what they put in their environments. And so it, it, it isn't as complicated as people like to think it is. But if, if I describe what goes on for me in making a painting, you know, I start it, that, that even is difficult, but 
what I feel when I'm nearing the end of a painting is that I begin to step back and I slow down and I put less on and I watch more and then I have to step away and I have to observe what's going on because you can overpaint and then ruin the painting. I mean, being the artist, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done, Tatiana. I didn't realize it was so, I think I brought with me from a childhood age that it wasn't viable from a living standpoint, but along the way I created associated beliefs that supported that lack of, of appreciation and respect for how difficult it is. I mean, it is a, definitely a process. I can tell you that I can appreciate the, or, or I started appreciating the process when I started writing my book, um, or, and worked with a designer also on logos and other things. I mean, at first I was apologizing when I was, you know, telling the designer, oh, I don't like this, you know, or I don't like that. Um, you know, can we change this a bit? But then I realized it's part of the process. And similarly, most likely from what you're saying, similarly, that's the process that you go through. You kind of have to go back and forth with your own painting and see kind of where you're going and whether it has shape. You have to have a plan, I'm guessing. Is that correct? Yes. Well, there's... Th th that's a really good question too. Like the plan, like what is the plan? What comes from me organically and what comes from the plan? So there, there is, and there isn't, I mean, with commissions, there's definitely a plan. I, you know, I have to know what size they want, what colors they like, you know, what, what is it that they want in the painting? So on and so forth. Um, but ultimately the plan is for me to deeply express myself. Got it. Um, so, um, I guess, I mean, when I wrote my book at first, I worked on something called an outline, which is where I identified, you know, the chapter flow, the topic flow, the teaching points, the, the point that I wanted to kind of come to bring across or whatever to, for people to, to understand. And that was a process and, you know, it's kind of, like I wrote the book in four months and then I stepped away from it for four months because, you know, I was, it was with the editors, it was with uh, whatever. And then once I was rereading it, it's, it gave, gave me that new sort of a fresh look, um, completely, in, like you said, stepped away. So I can appreciate the art of the process of creating art because book book is also art, um, just like a painting is. I would interject and say, absolutely. And I think, uh, one of the, one of the books that I read that really helped me start to really appreciate my own creativity was the Brene Brown wrote the gifts of imperfection. And she really helped me to understand that I, and discern that all my life I had been creating whatever I was doing, um, cooking, gardening, like everything it always fed my soul. And writing a book is no different from that. You are birthing a piece of you that you're putting out in the world. And there's all sorts of insecurities. There are all sorts of how, how you know, the truth, the didactics of like creating something that's accurate or true and real. So you, you've walked that creative path. And I've, I've looked at some of your, your information and it's like, it's so very succinct. And I love that you're very organized and I love that you're, you know, you talk about the bottom line and, and all that stuff 
it's weird how they interact with each other. But the truth is, is that being creative comes out in different ways. Mine just happens to be painting and I love it. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's uh, amazing. I love it. And um, yeah, and I definitely learned to respect art um, in different forms, you know, uh, over the years, uh, more than I could ever imagine. Honestly, um, I never, you know, I, I didn't grow up uh, as an artist at all. Um, I was actually only thinking of myself as that I suck at it. <laughs> um, so it's interesting. It's so huh? real. It's so real. I mean, every kid sits in a classroom and you gravitate towards science or math or art or whatever it is you gravitate towards. But it's, it's, it's becoming who you are, becoming who I am. You know, it's part of our growth. And I, I love that I've come back to the art because it's not as if I completely abandoned it. It's I took a detour. That's interesting. That's, um, I mean, life is life, right? I mean, you have three kids, so it must have, um, do you, I mean, do you feel comfortable talking about the detour? Like, or yeah, the, the, I mean, is there anything in particular you're curious about or just talk about the detour? Um, just talk about the detour, like why did it happen? Um, kind of how did you come back from it? And what did you learn kind of through that journey? Okay. If I'm, if I'm succinct, I mean, I'll repeat myself in that as a child, it, it was never sort of a viable option, like to be an artist. Like when I think back to being that kid and then growing up and in high school, actually in, in grade school, um, my teacher built a dark room in our classroom. And I thought that that was magical. And then through high school, and we did photography, then through high school, I saw that that was a viable option. I labeled it that way. I mean, you could do it for magazines, you could do it for the newspaper, you can do it for National Geographic, you could do all those things. So I ended up at a very good graphic design school. And couldn't stand what they taught me because there was never any, there was little to no discussion about where the creation comes from. It was more about meeting a client's um, needs, their desires, the money. I mean, it was about making a living of it. So that part is good and well. But when I graduated, I was like, geez, I'm glad I'm done with that. <laughs> <laughs> and I ironically was led to um, the Rolfing School because as an athlete and my performance and the things that I did um, – endurance wise, they, they led, a, they, that created a lot of adventure for me. I did a lot of outdoor stuff. I did a lot of backpacking. Um, I've done the Ironman. I've done these endurance events that took a lot of training and a lot of, they, they brought a lot of richness to my life, but it wasn't until I was rolfing and a rolfing session looks like somebody comes in and I work on them for an hour. It's not like massage. It's really much more deep for the person. And I work with them over a series. And I started to tap into this silence or stillness within me that allowed me to find things in them to work on. I don't know how to describe it any differently. But um, when I was secure in that job, like there was this freedom that I had, and I began to paint again. And that was in my late 20s, early 30s. And then I got married and 
you know, painting did get put on the back burner for a while. And then I started in my, probably after having kids, not, you know, not that long ago, again, 15 years, it's not as if I never painted, but it wasn't until I really started to see that it fed me. It helped me be happy inside. And it's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. But it's, you have to be able to observe that within yourself and appreciate it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, you probably won't be able to sort of um, relate to this, but, uh, you know, when my kids were little, my work, because I'm obsessed with my work, I love what I do um, as an accountant, as a tax um, preparer, tax accountant, my work was my escape from the Groundhog Day that, you know, that you have with small kids. Like every day you do the same exact thing in the same, the same exact time. And it's, it was hard. So my work was my escape. Well, I, I can understand that. And I, I relate to that. I, um, I used to carve out one day a week and I had a babysitter help and I would go paint with a group of women and that's kind of how it started. And then it blossomed into more, but talk about groundhog day. Let's be realistic about what's going on with COVID. I mean, <laughs> I love my children and I am so grateful that I have a studio that I can come to and shut the door. And mind you, I'm always interrupted, but, um, it, that groundhog day of children is 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 something that that we grow through and it's it's hard yeah yep so it is it it is hard <laughs> and i love you know thank god for people like you tatiana the irony to it is that i actually love crunching numbers i loved doing my taxes but like it is not something that I want to do now that I have kids. Like I want to do other things that make me happy and feed my soul. So thank God there's people like you, <laughs> you know, we all serve some part of society. I love it. Yeah. Listen, so Elizabeth, you taught, you touched on this um, interesting point and I, I wrote it down because I wanted to ask you as we are kind of wrapping up um, the episode. Um, so you mentioned that at school, <laughs> Okay, this was Cookie, my Rhodesian Ridgeback. Oh. She didn't rec she didn't recognize my husband, but whatever. That's funny. Um anyway. <laughs> so the question is, when you went to school and you mentioned that you didn't like what they were teaching you because they weren't teaching you where the creativity comes from. So my question to that um is where do you think it comes from? And the reason I'm asking, I'm going to give you a little bit of a background. Um, I, um, when I started writing my book, I came across this book called The War of Art um, that talk about, talks about resistance and also talks about that ideas in general aren't really ours. They, are, they kind of are kind of like the muse um, that comes to your door and knocks on your door. If you open, it kind of lets you um, be the conductor of that idea or art or whatever. What do you think about it? I, I've read that book. If you've read Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert and my dear father, who's still living at 90, it, it, it's all somewhat the same. I, there aren't that many new ideas. There are ideas that are picked up, dusted off, recreated, some done well, some done horribly. But the truth is, I agree with you. My truth is that I agree with you on that statement. And 
and that we are responsible and that speaks to my sliding door. Like it's the muse that came by and that's what I meant by this time I'm honoring myself and I'm taking that step to go deeper and take that train and, and and explore it because talking about where creativity comes from, I mean, it's different for everybody. You talk about, you know, the impressionist artists were, you know, drinking absinthe and smoking things and, you know, where does it truly come from? Does it come from, you know, like searching? I, I think the search is within the silence and it's so hard to discuss and it's fun to discuss but it isn't easy. So I, I'm I'm trying to speak to you as a number cruncher. It, it's sort of like when you have finished, you, you there's a mistake somewhere. And when you find it, that moment where you go, there it is. <laughs> that is a similar feeling of like when I finish a painting and I go, oh, I love how that works. <laughs> That's that's amazing. I can totally relate to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted to pick something that you could because that's what creativity is. And there is the that that book, The War on Art, is I loved it about the discussion of the resistance because and and even Brene Brown talks about that too. She's like, when I sit down to write, I think about all the stuff I need to go to the store to buy at the office store. I mean, I need to organize my paints and, oh my God, my plants aren't watered. I need to do that. Oh, it's lunchtime. I'll, you know, it isn't, so we can't kid ourselves. It isn't easy to do the thing sometimes that brings us most joy. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Yeah. So Elizabeth, um, thank you so much for, for sharing your story, your experience and your passion for art. I totally felt it. Um, I felt how you really love what you do. And it's, um, I love people who love what they do. Um, it actually, I'm one of them and I think it's big luck in life to do what you love. Um, and you know, earn a living doing that. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I, I, I love that we could chat coming from sort of different quadrants of creativity and meet in the middle and have a little party. Yeah. I loved it. Thanks so much, Elizabeth. Thank you.